you are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to another Locked On Fantasy Basketball Fast Break Edition podcast. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball. Today we're going to be looking back at the top 20 rookies in fantasy basketball and then doing a bit of a trade deadline check-in on a few teams in the NBA, the Indiana Pacers, the Los Angeles Lakers, the LA Clippers and the Memphis Grizzlies. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. To it. All right, guys, let's take a look at these top 20 rookies in fantasy basketball, looking at per game value over the last two weeks, and a surprise there at number one in the top 20 rookies is Kevin Herter of the Atlanta Hawks. He's been out for the last couple of games with a sore neck, but he is the 26th ranked overall player over the last two weeks, and I guess you're going to ask, how's that the case? Well, he's hit 16 threes in his last four games. He's averaging 19 points with over four assists and one and a half steals on 50 and 83, including 52% from three, and that makes for a bloody good fantasy player. Herder is still available in 68% of Yahoo leagues. He has, to me, he has been a must-roster guy for weeks. He remains a must-roster guy. I know that Tory and Prince is back, but I believe that Herder and Prince will continue to start. And yes, Bazemore will return at some point. But 30 minutes for Herder, to me, is an absolute lock. The shooting will cool off, but he should be um, a must-roster guy for the rest of the way. The number two ranked rookie is Luka Doncic, 54th overall, averaging 27.5 and 8 with 1.5 steals. And the reason he is not at number one really is the fact that he's shooting 39% from the field, which is poor, and 69% from the line. Giggity! Which is also funny, but uh, but also poor uh, numbers, which of course, if they improve, then uh, the, the ranking would skyrocket. We know that Doncic is a consistent, persistent, future top 20, top 15 sort of a guy. Well, that's what we hope, I guess. Um, and I have pretty uh, high level of confidence that he'll get to that level. The number three ranked rookie and number 58 overall is Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks. If you held steady through the early season struggles, I guess you're rewarded at the moment. Uh, 18 points, five rebounds, and seven and a half assists with only 0.7 steals. And during this time frame, and this should give you a huge amount of confidence, he's shooting just 40% from the field and only 27% from three yet he's still ranked this highly. So if he gets back to a 32% three-point shooter, a 42% field goal guy, and gets the steals back to 1, 1.1 per game, then top 40 is a possibility. He probably won't be that this season, but that's the sort of ability uh, that he has. He's looking a lot more comfortable now. His passing has been fantastic this season. And I was you know, marginally skeptical on Young in terms of his long-term dynasty. But not all that skeptical. We still had him uh, fairly high in dynasty rankings. Uh, but he looks like he's going to be a solid enough starting point guard um, who will have multiple top 50 seasons in the NBA. The fourth-ranked rookie and number 64 overall is DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns. He's missed the last couple with an ankle injury. Only 29 minutes a game over his last four, 15 and 10. The good news there is 53% from the field. It's 1.8 blocks. It's one steal. I don't know why he hasn't taken a single three this season. That's a little bit confusing. Um, and, and you know my thoughts on him long-term is that his defensive liability, if the Suns uh, ever become a great team, will that limit him in the mo mold of, say, an Ennis Cantor type of player? Not saying he's Cantor, not saying he's Cantor level of defense, but it, will that keep him at 28 minutes a night, 27 minutes a night, 
rather than a 33, 34 minute beast that we see guys like Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid and uh, Uncarl Anthony Towns being. I think that's the, the, the differentiator there. And of course, those block numbers. Number five is probably a little bit of a surprise. Alonzo Trier of the New York Knicks. Trier, who uh, made a few waves today with uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. not being impressed with him uh, passing the blame onto other players regarding that Eric Gordon three at the end of the Rockets game. Over the last five games, he's playing just 23 minutes a night, averaging 13, 4, and 3 with 0.8 steals. Now, he's doing it a little bit smoke and mirrorsy here, 55% from the field, including 61% from two-point range, uh, which is due to come back. Of course, the consistency in his minutes is absolutely nowhere to be found because his coach is David Fisdale. So that's, I guess, somewhat of a, of a concern there. But he is worth having at least a look at, especially in 14-team leagues for this season. I'm not sure I really believe in Trier as a long-term NBA starter, but I think he's going to have occasional bouts of, of value. And I think we're in, in the middle of one of these at the moment. It's not something that I expect to last all that long, though, as Fisdale continues to chop and change. His teammate on the Knicks is the sixth-ranked rookie, number 85 overall, Mitchell Robinson. He's doing it in an astonishing 14 minutes per game. How is he doing it? Well, he hasn't missed a shot since he returned from those, those injuries. Uh, perfect 100% from the field, and he's blocked two shots per game in those 14 minutes, and that's really all he's doing. Eight points, three rebounds, nothing else to be interested in at all. He is a field goal percentage and blocks streamer, with Ennis Cantor likely done in New York or limited in minutes and Cornette out. If Robinson can stay out of foul trouble, he should be getting 20-plus minutes a night. And even if he isn't, those blocks and field goal percentage can be useful on the right team. I think he's got yeah potentially Klinkapala-type upside in the future. Uh, he's got to learn a few more things, but that could be two, three years away. But I think that this is a top 40 potential upside player in future seasons. The number seven ranked rookie in fantasy leagues, number 96 overall is McCall Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. He doesn't look like he's doing much. 28 minutes a night, eight points, but 1.7 steals, 1.2 triples, 0.8 blocks, 46% shooting. That's enough to have him as a top 100 guy. Now, is he a must roster guy? Hell no, he's not. But he's still available in 76% of Yahoo leagues and in a lot of 12-team formats, you might be looking for exactly what he provides. He's got a relatively steady role. He's obviously not providing points. In fact, he's actively hurting you in that category. But getting those triple one numbers can be just as valuable and Bridges does that and has done it fairly consistently all season. The next guy we look at, the eighth overall rookie, is Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr., number 114 overall over the last two weeks. 14 points. Now, there's a few disappointing numbers here. 4.6 rebounds is not great. 0.73s, we wish that was higher. 1.3 blocks, he should be higher there. Uh, 47 and 77. These are all okay numbers. To me, he's a must-hold guy in 10 and 12 team leagues. The foul trouble is obviously a pain in the ass. If he can get that marginally under control, or Bickerstaff can at least put a little bit more trust in him, then 30 minutes is something that should push him very comfortably into the top 100, top 80. And I do believe this guy is going to be a perennial top 25 NBA fantasy player. The ninth-ranked rookie, Josh Kogi of the Minnesota Timberwolves, only 25 minutes a night. He's 122nd overall. He's averaging 12 points with 1.2 steals and almost two triples on 46% shooting. He has been a sub-40% shooter all season, so there's a little bit of uh, flukiness involved with this level from Kogi. And when Covington returns, his value is going to drop precipitously. He's available in 93% of leagues. So 16-teamers, you should be looking at Kogi, and even 14-team league players can, can have some value in him. Anything shallower than that, I don't really see the point. The 10th ranked rookie is Chandler Hutchison of the Chicago Bulls, 139th overall. The minutes are fine. He's getting a lot of them. He's shooting 56% from the field in the last seven games. 
He's not doing a hell of a lot else. Good free throw shooter, low volume. I think that he is a guy who, again, is 99% available. 16-teamer, absolutely. 14-teamer, maybe, maybe not. He's on the fringe there. 12-teamer, he's a stream type of player. He's a guy who came out translating fairly well out of college. I'm not sure that he's ever going to have top 100 seasons in the NBA, though, but it's good that he is locked in as a starter at this point. Number 11 is Rowdy Rodion's Kuroks of the Brooklyn Nets, 148th overall, averaging 11 points in 24 minutes, not doing a huge amount else apart from the 62% shooting from the field. Now, he has been really efficient pretty much all season, but that, of course, is a number that will have to dip. And then you've got Alan Crabb returning. Rondé Holtz-Jefferson, is he, is he ever going to be healthy? You've got uh, no idea. Uh, Jared Dudley maybe comes back and cuts into Kuroks minutes indirectly. So I don't think that, look, and while he is top 150, I don't think he's a 12-team league guy. You know my thoughts on him long-term. I I do really like him as a top 100 guy, but for this season, I think we leave him for the deepers. The uh, 12th ranked guy, 171 overall, Mo Bamba. One, two, three, four, five. He, like Mitchell Robinson, is a blocks and field goal percentage streamer, 69% Giggity. from the field over the last two weeks, 1.3 blocks. Seven points and four rebounds. I don't really like the what what I've seen from him on court in terms of offensive production. He still looks quite a, quite a bit lost on the court. I think he's going to be a while away. I think if the Magic are close to playoff contention, they're not going to be trading Vucevic away because having Bumba as the starting center will be disastrous for this team, I believe. But he still does have some long-term upside. I'm not as convinced on him as many of the other guys uh, who were picked around that zone or, or ahead of him in uh, in the draft. And one of those guys is the 13th-ranked rookie, Marvin Bagley the third, 172 overall. He's averaging 25 minutes per game over the last seven, 13.5 and 7.5 on 52% shooting. I believe he's a must-roster 12-team league guy, and he should start, fingers crossed, from here on out. The problem with him is the problem we foresaw heading into the season. Poor free throws, 55%. Low steals, low blocks, 0.9 steals, 0.6 blocks, 0.7 assists. And that's what is always, to me, going to hold him back from being a fantastic fantasy player. I do think that he can be a top 100, top 110 guy for the rest of the year around that sort of a zone. But I think his overall upside could be limited by negatives in those four categories. And that could be a problem. De'Anthony Melton comes in now as the number 14th ranked rookie, 174th overall. His minutes have taken a step back, under 20 minutes a game in the last six, only three points on 24% shooting, which is, of course, putrid. 1.5 steals is great, 0.8 blocks is great, and 4.7 assists is great. So if you're looking for those categories and those other areas, don't worry. you. Melton is going to be the starting point guard, I would imagine, I would hope, for the rest of the season. But the minutes, I thought they'd trend up towards 26-27 as the Suns, Suns got more comfortable with him and Booker playing together. But Kokoshkov obviously disagrees with me and feels that 20 minutes for Jamal Crawford is an absolute necessity, despite Crawford literally being one of the worst players in the NBA uh, over the past couple of seasons. So if you're in a solid playoff position, you're stashing Melton with that hope, which I admit is dwindling of him pushing towards further minutes is is there. But at, at this point, realistically, he's probably more of an assist, steals, blocks type of streamer. The next guy we look at, number 15, is Landry Shamet of the Philadelphia 76ers, 187th overall. He's just an excellent three-point streamer. Two threes per game on 47%. He's shooting over 40% from the field. He's doing literally nothing else. But if you need threes... Think of him like you, know, you can't get Pat Mills or Marco Ballinelli or Davis Bertans and those three Spurs guys just came to mind. Yeah, Shamit could be that guy that can come in and hit your two threes, much like the Duke Wayne Ellington was able to do over the past couple of seasons. The next rookie we look at 
is number 16, Colin Sexton, the Padawan, number 129 overall, averaging 14 and a half minutes in, sorry, 14 and a half points in 31 minutes, only three assists, only one steal, and 40 and 72. He just hurts you in so many categories. The only category over the last two weeks that he's a positive in is steals, and he's only getting one per game of those, so only a marginal positive. I don't believe in him long-term. I don't believe he's a 12-team league guy. He's more of a 14 or 16-team guy with extra value in points leagues. The Wizard, Omari Spellman, comes in next. He is the 17th ranked player, 208th overall, 6 points, 4 rebounds, 1.2 blocks, and 1.3 triples. I think in a luxury stash scenario, he has a little bit of value if Dwayne Dedman does get moved. And of course, there's Alex Len there, but then they could be a 26-22 minute split in either direction. And I think if you can get to 22 minutes for the Wizard, he could actually be a 12-team league guy. Now, I don't think he's a very good player. I don't think that he is a great prospect by any stretch, but... He has the triple one potential. He's got an ability to generate assists and he can be, and I think this is what Daniel LaRue calls him, is uh, the new most space. And that's a guy that when the minutes were there, your fantasy value definitely followed. And I think that's what Spellman might be able to be for the second or the last two months of this season. 214th is Wendell Carter Jr. of the Chicago Bulls. Of course, his season is pretty much done, uh, averaging 5 and 8 in 25 minutes. I like him long-term for Dynasty. This might be a great buy-low opportunity, especially if the team that has him is really in championship uh, race at the moment. That might be an opportunity to try and acquire him because these games before the injury were a bit of a struggle, and now he's out for the rest of the regular season. Um, but of course, in uh, in redraft leagues, I don't think we need to be bothered with him. The um, next guy, the 19th ranked rookie, 220th overall, the burner, Jalen Brunson of the Dallas Mavericks, 20 minutes, 9 points, 2.5 assists with 46% shooting. He's sort of in and out of the rotation, and when Dennis Smith back now for Dallas, his value is dipping, even though J.J. Barea is gone. Uh, he's a long way from 12 or 14 or, or maybe even 16-team league value, but I do think at some point he can be a Barea-type player, a high-ish assists guy that can generate some steals and hit some threes and be a consistent enough 14 to 16-team league guy. I just think this season he's probably not there. And the number 20-ranked rookie, 221 overall, the fort, Kevin Knox, 32 minutes a night, 14 and 5, but just no other numbers. Assist steals and blocks are all poor. Uh, 39 and 62 as his percentages is really bad. Two triples is okay. He's significantly better suited to points leagues, and he probably is a 12-team points league guy just because of the volume in the minutes. In category leagues, it's really, really hard to have him as a must-roster player. If I'm just going to round out the top 24, Brad Wanamaker, 21. Bruce the Shark Brown at 22. Baby shark, Harry Giles at 23, and Theo Pinson, just the one game from Theo, but he comes in as the 24th best rookie over the last two weeks. All right, guys, check-in time now for the Indiana Pacers doing trade deadline preview stuff. But, of course, just quickly touching on the news with Victor Oladipo confirmed that he has a ruptured quad tendon, so he will miss the rest of the regular season. So I think that changes a lot of the calculations here for the Pacers. They've got a bunch of guys who are unrestricted free agents. Now, just quickly touching on it, I think that if a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich or Darren Collison is on your waiver wire, you grab him. Tyreek Evans, you grab him as well. Corey Joseph gets a little bit more appeal, but he's still more of a fringe 14-team. So he's more of a 14-team free. 12-team league and deeper leagues, 16-teamers. Aaron Holiday is the guy you want to take a look at there. 
Um, yeah, but on this team, a bunch of unrestricted free agents, Darren Colson, Boyan Bogdanovich, Thad Young, Tyreek, Corey Joseph, all these guys are unrestricted free agents. And there was thought that maybe they could look to package some of these guys, move some of them, have an upgrade at that point guard position, maybe get in on the Mike Conley sweepstakes in Memphis. But with this uh, injury to Oladipo, it changes a couple of things. A, they need these guys now to help them get through this. But B, are they going to you know, slip down the, the seedings in the Eastern Conference? They didn't at the start of the season when Oladipo was out, so that's bearing in mind. But then they might be like, maybe they are looking to sell these guys more because they're like, oh, well, shit, we're not going to compete this season. These guys are unrestricted. Do we just try and get something back in return and, and rebuild this thing for next season when Oladipo hopefully is able to return and, and return to his best of last season? So there's a couple of interesting things here. And with this team, I would have thought the most likely guy to get moved on this team was Collison. Um, with Oladipo out now, I'd say that's probably unlikely. Um, yeah, Corey Joseph, uh, Nate McMillan obviously loves what he does in a bench role. I'm not really sure what team would be looking to take Corey Joseph on in a deal. Uh, if I had to pick between those two guys as the most likely to get moved... I would still think it is Collison as they look to have an upgrade in that backcourt. And that probably hurts his value. And I think Collison can be close to a top 50, top 60 guy for the rest of the season with Oladipo missing in Indiana and almost definitely a team that he goes to unless it is in, in Memphis, uh, he might struggle to get to that same level. Um, and, and that could have a, an impact there. But this isn't a team that's just going to be you know, trading guys away to open up minutes necessarily for young players. So I wouldn't be looking at you know, huge beneficiaries on this team. But I think they are still in the mix to shake some things up. That Oladipo injury, I think, and, and this sounds like a cop-out, but it could really impact things wildly in either direction. And you know, they're not in that same position they were. They could be in a shit, we need help, let's go Let's go make a move and get someone else in here, or, oh, we're not going anywhere, let's try and get younger assets. So it really does change it from a more of a, maybe a stand pat type of let's consolidate to a, we need to go hard in either direction here. And I think that that's a real risk with these guys. But if I had to put on it for one guy to get moved, it probably would be Collison. It won't be Sabonis, it won't be Turner. I don't think it'll be Thad Young. I don't think it'll be Corey Joseph. You're not going to get much back in a trade for Doug McDermott. Um, and Boyan Bogdanovich, perhaps, but, uh, but I highly doubt that he is the guy that would be on the move. They still do have the three guards, Collison, Joseph, and Evans, along with Aaron Holiday. And if Holiday shows a bit in these next couple of games, one of those guys could be considered expendable. So that's how I would look at it for the Indiana Pacers at this point. But of course, that Oladipo injury, as terrible as it was, does change a lot of the calculations. And we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks for this team. All right, let's do a check-in now on the LA Clippers, a team who, again, like the like the Pacers, do have a number of players who are unrestricted free agents heading into this next summer. Uh, Tobias Harris, Patrick Beverly, Luke Marmute, Boba Marjanovic, Marcin Gortat, uh, Prison Mike, and then you've got uh, Milos Teodosic as a restricted free agent there as well. You know, a lot of the concerns with the Clippers are the Avery Bradley lineups and starting him over players who perhaps are more valuable or not even starting but playing him more minutes. In terms of guys who potentially could get traded, I'd say Milos Teodosic is probably the, the most likely guy to get moved. Coming back would be a pretty marginal asset and not one that would necessarily have a, any sort of impact in, in fantasy situations. The other guy who I think has, has an opportunity perhaps to get moved is Marcin Gortat on this team. His uh, value in his role wildly fluctuates from game to game depending on Doc Rivers' whims. There are times when he doesn't play. There are times when he starts and plays 20 minutes. There are times when he plays 10 minutes. And you've got the the play of Montrez Harrell. You've got Boban there in emergencies. You've got the emerging play of Jonathan Motley as well, who who can handle some centre minutes at, at times. 
And so there could be something interesting happening there for the Clippers. The other guy I think we'd have to pay attention to. And, and while Doc doesn't have um, front office uh, decision-making power anymore, the Avery Bradley thing, I think he'd be the ideal guy to try and move. I don't think they'll be doing that, but he would be that ideal option. I think Patrick Beverly is at risk of, of being moved on this team. And what that could do in that scenario is, is open up a little bit more for Gildas Alexander. Now, Shea was playing 30 plus a night consistently, and then Doc decided to reduce him down to 20 and call him out publicly, which I thought was a real dick move. If Beverly goes and they're not getting another like player back, then you could see Shea's minutes push back up to 30. Some of this is going to be dependent on the Clippers' playoff seating and, and positioning and, and if they're still in the mix for the playoffs. Um, but that could that could boost some value for Shea as the season goes on, as well as a guy in, in deep leagues with John Motley, if they do happen to move on from uh, from Marchin Gortat or even Mike Scott, that could open up something for, for Motley, who is on a two-way. But I think they'd like to get him converted, although they had some issues converting someone like Ty Wallace last season. So some op- opportunities there with the Clippers, some uh, interesting lineup decisions they have to make. Most likely to move would be Milosh, in my opinion, and then you've got Beverly and Gortat as other potential guys who could potentially be on the move. All right, let's do a check-in now on the Los Angeles Lakers trade deadline stuff. We hear so much talk about this Lakers team being involved in trades. I do not think there is any chance of Anthony Davis coming there this season. We hear about the young guys all the time, Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball. Are they going to be packaged off for other players? I really highly doubt that's going to be the case. If any of those four young guys move, I believe it would be Ingram because I think that they could probably get the most return for him. People still believe there is untapped potential in Ingram. I'm not quite as high on that scenario. But if he did move on, it would be to get a, a better player back, and that would mean that the players on this roster wouldn't necessarily get a larger opportunity. The guy who I do think is probably the most likely to get dealt uh, outside of Lance Stevenson, I think he's a pretty massive chance to go, is Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. He could be looking for a, a larger sort of role. Now, his role has been increased of late, but when uh, Rondo and LeBron are back in action, some of his minutes and his uh, his playing time is going to go away. So I could see KCP moving on. And then in that case, that would make Josh Hart really a borderline 12-team league guy. Again, so much of this conjecture and speculation depends on which player would be coming back in that deal. And that's why a lot of the time trying to stash guys based on potential hypothetical trade scenarios that you think are absolutely obvious aren't always going to be, isn't always going to, in fact, majority of the time isn't going to work out because players coming back in play you know, is, is a complicating factor. Unless it's a player getting moved for a, a draft pick only, and then things can get a little bit complicated. But I think the KCP is a, a significant chance to be moved here on this team, along with Lance Stevenson. And if any of the, the major rotation players do go, I think Ingram is that guy. And I think if Brandon Ingram went to another team, his value would increase almost definitely because he wouldn't be sharing the ball with Lonzo, with Rondo, and with LeBron. And that's something where his value comes in. Think of him as a... I was going to say better, but I'm not sure if that's the right word. I think of him as Justice Winslow, a player who struggles with shooting, but yeah, can be a little bit more successful when the ball is in his hands. And that's the sort of level of player that maybe he can get to. Maybe he can be a top 60 guy in an environment where he's not sharing the ball and he is being used more as a primary creator type player. So he'd be a name to watch along with KCP. They are you know, probably the two highest chances guys on the Lakers of getting moved. 
All right, last team we're going to take a look at here, trade deadline, fantasy check, and we're looking at the Memphis Grizzlies, and of course, all the news with them is about Mike Conley and Mark Gasol. Wherever these two guys end up going, I think that there is probably a better than 50% chance that they find themselves in better situations because they'll be playing for a better coach, almost definitely. There's only like one other team that they could really go to where the coach would be worse, hashtag Chicago Bulls. But mostly, they'd be going to a team with a higher pace. Higher pace, more possessions, more statistical production for these guys. And they're putting up strong numbers. They're probably locks to be top 45 guys for the rest of the season. And wherever they go, it's not like you're trading for Marcus Sol and putting him into a 20-minute role. You're not trading for Conley to come in and be your backup point guard. They're going to have similar value. But what it could do is open up things in Memphis. Again, we don't know what's going to happen to players coming back in those deals. And they'd almost assuredly be getting some sort of guys back. But the opportunity there would open up for Jaron Jackson Jr. to play his preferred position, which is center. That's his best position. That should help his field goal percentage. It should help his blocks as well. And hopefully he can play more minutes now um, if that is the case. So uh, he is a, a must roster player anyway, but I think he's got a real chance of a value spike. Jermichael Green. We've seen Jermichael Green for, for many seasons being the starter in Memphis. He took over from Zach Randolph a couple of seasons ago. He's played decent minutes. He just isn't a great fantasy guy. We've seen that from him. So while we can we can look at him as this stash type of guy, last season he played 28 minutes a night and was 161st. The year before he played 27 minutes a night and was 130th. Now, to be fair to Jermichael, he has improved. He's been a much higher usage player this season, 22% usage. Um, the defensive numbers have improved from him significantly this year, almost double the block rate uh, and uh, and the steal rates almost double as well this season. So that does help him. And he'd be interesting as a 12-team stash at this point with the hope that a move happens there. For the point guard spot, maybe a, a youngish point guard comes back. Think maybe it's you know, someone, maybe it's Dennis Smith, someone like that. And then they take all that value. But Shelvin Mack and Javon Carter, uh, Bickerstaff has had a massive love affair with Mack pretty much all of this season. So he would come in. And we saw last season in Orlando, he had stretches of being a viable player. Well, Javon Carter would be the guy that they absolutely should be going to. And if they're trading away Conley and Gasol because they want to facilitate a rebuild, well, Shelvin Mack is no part of your rebuild in any situation or any definition of that word. So Javon Carter would be the guy. If I'm going to stash someone as a point guard here, it is going to be him, a guy that is a high steals generator. He averaged, I think, over three steals per game last season for West Virginia. An assist, a steals, maybe hit some threes, although he has struggled with that this season, not, not been a, a great shooter at all. But getting steals and getting assists can be a viable thing. So he could be someone at least to keep an eye on, or if you're in a real solid position with an ability to stash on a bench, uh, he could be an interesting upside type of guy in that sort of situation. And that'll do it for another Locked On Fantasy Basketball Fast Break Edition podcast. I mentioned this on Twitter today. I've got four recurring segments that I do each week. The waiver wire ads, the top 20 players, the top 20 rookies, and the buy low sell high. I'm looking for another fifth regular recurring segment that I could do, as well as ideas on when I do the team-specific stuff, what we do. We've done general check-ins. I've done listener questions on teams and doing trade deadline stuff. I've got some other ideas, but some other ideas that you guys might have about those particular segments would be very, very interesting to hear. So make sure you are subscribing to this podcast. You'll never miss an episode. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and go to YouTube. Give it a thumbs up. Leave a comment down there below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.